Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. As part of its commitment to family inclusivity, Johnson's is proud to stand by Family Equality Council's National Adoption Month campaign in support of happy, healthy babies and all the families that love them. Happy National Adoption Month, everyone. November is National Adoption Month. So today, my guest is Rosie Caldwell-Llewellyn. Rosie is the adopted daughter of two loving fathers. She was born in Lima, Peru with her twin brother, Robbie. Together at six weeks of age, they were adopted and flown to the United States. Rosie's adoption was the first second parent adoption by a gay male couple in the city of Los Angeles. Today, Rosie is a proud social worker. She currently serves as the program director of The Loft at Silverado Beverly Place, a memory care community in the heart of L.A. She is passionate about making the world a better place for LGBTQ families everywhere and has served on the board of directors of Family Equality Council for a little over three years now. Now, Rosie and I, we actually go back many years, and we first met at Family Week in Provincetown, and that was the first Family Week I ever attended way back in 2003. So welcome, Rosie. Thank you. And yeah, um, back in our back in our youth. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice, it's nice to be here with you, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget sometimes how long it truly is because it does. It's such a strong memory for me that it feels like like I can just slip back into those feelings so quickly. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is a long time ago now. I'm going to start off, I know we already covered this a little bit in uh, my introduction of you, but I ask all of the guests to start us off with, who is in your family and how was it formed? I was, like you mentioned, I was adopted from Lima, Peru um, when I was six weeks old. Uh, My family's comprised of myself, my twin brother, Robbie, and my two fathers, Rich and Chris. Both my dads are white. Um, One of my fathers is Irish and the other is Cajun. Um, And my brother and I are both Hispanic um, from Peru. Yeah, that's the the (laughs) gist of my family. Yeah. So I've talked with so many different people on the podcast and elsewhere, and especially when talking with fellow people who have LGBTQ parents, there often are formative moments when we have some sort of moment of realizing that our family is special or unique or treated differently than other families. Do you have any formative memories of of understanding or sort of realizing that either that you were in an LGBTQ family and that your family was multiracial? Uh, Thinking about, I think, multiracial, one thing I just thinking about comes to my mind is um, cultural day. So... We have, you know, at school, elementary school, cultural day where students are expected to bring um, food or wear clothing from their, you know, their heritage, their culture. And I was always, um, you know, questioning, well, do I bring Peruvian food? Do I bring Irish food or Cajun food? Um, And there were times when 
I did bring, you know, decided to bring the traditional Irish dish or soda bread or something like that. And I had another student who was in the class um, bring a similar dish um, and just sort of question to me, you know, well, are you really Irish? You don't look mm-hmm. Irish. Um because, you know, my, my, my parents are very white and I am very Hispanic. So um, I don't look like a typical, um, you know, Irish person. So I, I get where that would come from. But that was always like for me, just a moment where I was like, well, what what do I bring? Um, you know, it kind of underscored the multi-culti aspect of um, my family and my family makeup. I think it was in part my understanding of what my culture was and then not really, you know, embracing it at home anyways. Do you have memories then, uh, you know, that that was something that you had to make some of those decisions about how to express your own identities to others. Did you have moments, I know I certainly did, where people would give me confused questions, like confused looks or question me when I would try to just explain that I had two moms. Uh, did you, did you also experience much pushback from peers or other adults, maybe even when you would say that you had two dads or, or was LA maybe a place that on a different level got it than where I was in, in Massachusetts? Um, you know, in middle school, well, in elementary school, I'll say that I was very open, you know, I'd have playdates and everyone knew, you know, my, my parents, cause they'd come in on, you know, serve hot lunch at, um, you know, on hot lunch day. Um, mm-hmm. but back in middle school, I do remember feeling very fearful that people would find out that I had two dads. And I think up to this point, you know, I was never ashamed again, like elementary school, I was always open, um, about my family and really didn't think twice about it. But I will say, I think as I grew up, I became exposed to more stories about discrimination um, of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. particularly by um, various religious groups. And when I, you know, my, my family, we grew up um, Episcopalian. I went to church and um, every Sunday I sing in the choir so um, I chose to go to an all-girls Catholic school, and I think before that, particularly the summer before I went to middle school, I had heard about um, a, a friend of mine who had had their rainbow flag burned by a religious group, and so I was just completely terrified that people would would not accept it. Because of that fear, I remember asking my fathers to, only one of my my dads I was allowed to come to, you know, a typical father-daughter picnic um, or a, the mother-daughter luncheon we had um, at school or, you know, back to school Mm day. Um, And they were okay with that. But I just, during middle school, um, it was a particularly difficult time for me because I think I was dealing with all these, you know, mixed emotions of feelings of guilt and shame because I, on one hand, felt so strongly, you know, the love for my family, my LGBT community, um, the community I grew up in, um, really, but 
you know, on the other, feeling the need to hide just because I was scared of um, what others might might think mm-hmm. or how others might act. You you have your unique experiences, but they're happening simultaneous, like for a brother who's happened, who's the same exact same age. Um, so did you see your your brother responding or reacting any differently? Um, you know, if, if one of you wanted to be out and one didn't want to be out in a space, like, was that ever a challenge? Um, you know, my brother and I went to separate schools, mm. um, but he had a very separate experience from my, from what I did. You know, my school is an all-girls school, but um, the school that he went to, he was actually completely the opposite. He you know, never had a problem, um, sharing about his family. He was always open and just an open book. I think it would have been a different story if we were both at the same school and Mm -hmm. one had a different feeling of, you know, um, openness about their family than the other. But fortunately it kind of worked out for me. But, um, I, I will say, um, after family week, I wrote, and I, I've been going to family week for a long time since then, but, during my eighth grade, um, we all had to write a book about our lives or something meaningful, um, you know, up to that eighth grade point. And it was sort of like our graduation uh, project. Um, and I wrote about Family Week and I shared about my family and my adoption story. And um, that was really like my, I feel like, coming out moment. Mm. Um, no one, you know, no one said anything negative, um, to my surprise and people were actually quite, you know, they were, they were, um, surprised on one hand, but not because of, you know, my family makeup or all the fears that I had had. It was more so, well, how come you never told us this? You know, this is a really cool thing and it's a unique thing about you. Um, that was a really good experience for me. To, to find out that I was wrong in my assumptions and judging others. Um, and I think I further down the line realized that like one of my core values is authenticity. And if I was, it's a good opportunity for me to be authentic in my relationships, to share, you know, um, my whole self with others. Um, from there, I've pretty much switched and, become an open book, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, openly about my family with others. Yeah. For anybody who's listening that maybe is not familiar, uh, what, it, can you just talk a little bit about what is family week uh, or how would you describe family week to anyone who maybe doesn't know what it is? So family week is a week in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and, um, it's a space for families, LGBTQ families to come together. And um, for me, it was just really about feeling um, like I was like anyone else and meeting families from all different, um, you know, areas of the country, really. Um, I will say that I was fortunate living in Los Angeles to have known other families before Family Week, but it was a good space for me to be, um, to just meet other people from around the country. Yeah. And clearly, you know, for, through coming to, to Family Week for many years and now also being part of the board of directors with Family Equality Council, LGBTQ families and family spaces are, are seem to be certainly very important to you. Uh, so what, what do spaces and organizations like Family Equality Council and Collage, which is an organization by and for people with LGBTQ parents that is also organizing Family Week. 
you know, why do those spaces then, uh, what do they mean to you? You know, I think it's a, uh, important for me to be in a space where, you know, you're feeling like you're, you're like everyone else. Um, and people can really relate to the experience that you've had growing up, being able to not just, I think, be around people that are like you, but also speak more in depth about the challenges or the difficulties one's experienced. Um, I think it's important because you have the support of people who, who really, um, who you feel like get it and understand. And I think that was, you know, impactful for me growing up. Yeah. I remember my first year at Family Week and I was 13 and this was the first time I met anybody else who had an LGBTQ parent. So it was quite the overwhelming week for me, but it was just magical. And we, the teens then broke out one of our workshops, we broke out into smaller groups. And I remember separating out with people who had parents who had been married in, which, you know, at the time in 2003, that only meant in a different sex relationship. Um, And they had parents and who had divorced and one or both of their parents came out. There was then a group of people who were adopted or, uh, or being fostered by LGBTQ parents. And then there was a group for people who were born through donor insemination um, or surrogacy. And I'm, I remember the divorced parents uh, group being the largest group of teens and then donor insemination and and foster care and adoption uh, and surrogacy. You know, those were sort of split pretty equally between our two like much smaller groups and being able to go into even those more uh, specific to my own experiences, spaces like that, like having different lunch chats with other teens who were conceived through donor insemination or surrogacy. Like I I had such powerful moments in those even smaller identity groups. Do you, did you ever experience anything like that being in a space or a group or a workshop that was then people with LGBTQ parents who were also adopted? Yes. Um, so I think there were even, I don't, people that I met that were adopted from Peru. And that was a, you know, particularly powerful experience for me because I hadn't met anyone from Peru before. Um, So, you know, feeling, I think that sense of identity with, with others um, was important. And I think even just seeing people that looked like me um, was something you know, a good and impactful experience. Yeah, I completely agree. And did your did your parents enjoy? Uh, but coming from California, that is a commitment to make that your vacation. You know that it that takes a lot of intention to get there and make that happen. So was as the years went on, was Family Week something that the whole family looked forward to, uh, or or you know were you and possibly you and, and Robbie like the driving force of of like begging to go back? Oh, well, we always loved to go back, but my parents loved it equally. Mm. Um, So we were all, my aunts even even would come. Yeah, we we always just, it was something that we always did. I was, I'm fortunate, I guess, to be able to have had that kind of schlep across the country. But (laughs) um, yeah, it was uh, something we all looked forward to. When thinking about some of the other things that, you know, 
parents uh, have done right, you know, or some of the great things that we appreciate our parents doing. Like, you know, do you have memories of things that helped equip you to tell your adoption story and to talk to others about your family um, that your your parents really helped uh, have a hand in equip, equipping you with? You know, in terms of like conversations about um, my family, I, you know, my, my parents, they were always open to have those conversations. I don't remember ever a time when they sat me down and said, you know, this is our family. I think we always grew up surrounded by different books about um, children who, you know, uh, or not even children, uh, animals that were, you know, came in different shapes and sizes, but mm-hmm. families. Um, and um, that was always, I think, important for me because from an early age, I I just knew that um, – there were so many different unique families out there mm-hmm. um, in regards to, to multicultural families. Um, again, you know, they never sat me down and said like, you're Peruvian or you're Brown and we aren't. Um, but they surrounded me with just different types of like movies or books Um about different families. I, I know they also attended um, parent groups um, for parents with children of color. And I think the, the school of thought back then was that um, you really shouldn't, you know, pound in to children the fact that you're brown and they're not. It could actually be um, upsetting to children to really underline or underscore this this to them because they kind of grow up thinking that they're not different from their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was intentional and sort of um, their, you know, um, the way in which we discussed race. Um, yeah. And did that change then over time as you, as you got older? Did any of those conversations change? And then also, I mean, today, you know, certainly the more common thinking is like, this is conversations that you, you know, f- family should have at home. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, like foster care professionals giving some of those recommendations for people who are considering uh, transracial adoption, you know, things like that, that it seems like that common, you know, that idea of best practices sounds, seems like it maybe has changed over time. So did that, was that reflected at home for you? You know, I always felt open to go to my parents and have conversations if I needed to. But it wasn't something I ever really, um, I think, felt the need to come to come and talk to them about much. But I know, you know, growing up, it becomes a little different, especially when you're in college. Um, you know, you're away from your parents. You don't, you know, in, in, even in high school, I think they'd like attend various, um, what, performances and whatnot so they were always sort of part of me Mm -hmm. um but I think race it became um you know I think the understanding of me as a Peruvian Latino woman um I thought about it much more um when I was outside of the home Mm. um I actually this is kind of interesting I went back to Peru um maybe I think it was two years ago now, um, 
just because I had, I had never been back and I wanted to go back and see what it was like, you know, eat the different types of food um, and just get that experience for myself. Um, and I did, I did a Spanish immersion program. I, um, I was a, a social work program, so I worked with children in shanty towns, um, like up in the hills of Peru. And it was just, it was a really good experience for me. I think um, it was sort of my own getting in touch with my own identity. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. I don't feel like when I was younger, um, I always knew that I could seek my parents out if I needed to, but it wasn't something that I did um, regularly. Did you talk to any other any other adults in your life or, or peers, or was this something even that you and your brother ever talked about? You know, he's... It's interesting with my brother. Um, you should know he's very, he's significantly darker skinned than I am. Um, and so him growing up, he identified much more um, with peers of his that were African-American. Actually, since going back to Peru um, and, you know, seeing the, the actually diverse, diversity in Peru, um, many people, especially I think on the coastal areas are Afro-Peruvian. And so I was, you know, it, it makes sense that, um, that that's sort of where he identified because I, I would be surprised if we didn't have Afro-Peruvian in our blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him, the conversations with my parents, I think were, um, more around um, adoption for him. I think his skin color and the fact that they were different didn't really phase him, but more just about um, wanting to know about his adoption. Did you ever, did your parents ever talk about, you know, how others might perceive you and your brother or like safety tips, you know, anything like that, that was, you know, possibly really a new conversation for them to be even having and thinking about? Or was that just, that just wasn't something that was discussed really at home for you? So it's, yeah, that's interesting because I think it's, you know, definitely in the media, it's more relevant today that people would have those conversations. But me growing up, I don't, I don't remember. I can't recall a time when we, they did sit us down and talk to us about, um, you know, safety tips or any of that. It just wasn't really a conversation that um, that came up. Yeah, I wonder, I just wonder how much a factor of where somebody lives has to do with any of that too, of, of just by the nature of where you were living, that that had some sort of impact on, you know, how, how safe or how visible or how important some of those, you know, facing those realities together as a family was. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, I'm very fortunate in that where I grew up, um, it was much more diverse area and, um, my parents chose schools that had much, you know, a higher percentage of, um, you know, brown and black kids. Mm -hmm. So we were able to feel more comfortable. And I think, um, less that that was less of an issue um 
because it was more of a we were able to blend in more I guess per yeah. se yeah. Um, so yeah that's, yeah that's a good point Mm-hmm. Do you, when thinking back about those variety of experiences and what you did or didn't really like sit down and talk about together, either casually over dinner or like, you know, having a big moment together as a family, do you ever, do you now wish that maybe your family had done that a little bit more? You know, some of those ideas of what is healthiest and best for children has changed over the years. Um, so even thinking about you know, what you've learned and seen in your own now adult and professional life, you know, are there things that you maybe would have done differently? Um, you know, I think, I think the open lines of communication are always important. Um, I think, you know, maybe we could have, there's this, um, Actually, at Family Week, I met, you know, again, I'm meeting people from Peru that were adopted and had two two dads. One girl was telling me about some, um, what, experience that she, she had um, at a camp for people that were adopted from Peru. So um, I think that having experience like that might have been beneficial for me, um, you know, because I think it wasn't so much the fact that I was Latina that separated myself or felt that I felt different then, but I just didn't know what Peru was all about, um, what it was. And that's what interested me. Um, I think now more the intentional conversations about race, um, something, you know, having, a that type of conversation with my family might have been more beneficial as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I felt like, the, the, um, you know, open conversations, open communication was always important, um, for me to know that I was able to, you know, come to my parents if, if I ever wanted to talk about, um, about that. So you've then, you know, it sounds like eighth grade was a big moment, uh, in, in your, your turn for, increased advocacy uh, beyond what you are already doing. And certainly you've been really involved in uh, speaking out by, you know, for and with LGBTQ families for now, you know, a long time. And before joining the board, you were a member of Family Equality Council's Outspoken Generation. And so I'm always interested in why is speaking out in a more public way important to you beyond just speaking out to, to, you know, those in your immediate community? I think speaking out, I mean, being on um, the board of directors has been an amazing experience for me. Um, I think I've I've learned so much and I continue to do so every day from um, other board members. You know, I want to be able to make sure that the same resources that were available to me when I was younger, you know, going to family week or, different events in Los Angeles, um, with LGBT families, um, were, are available to children living in rural areas in the South. Um, you know, like places like Texas or Alabama. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's part of the reason I, I joined, but before that, even, you know, you, you mentioned the outspoken generation, um, just, I think it's one thing 
you know, I think it's important to hear from the voices of those who've grown up with LGBT parents. It's, it's, it's one thing to talk about, um, you know, the, the issue of LGBT marriage, for example, or LGBT um, parents adopting children in foster care from like more, more moral or religious standpoint. Um, but it's another to hear about, um, you know, from the voices of those really affected by the issue. So I think that was, um, you know, kind of wanting to be a voice of reason and speak on behalf of my family um, to affect others, I think was important to me. Yeah. And Outspoken Generation is Family Equality Council's program for people with LGBTQ parents to really try to amplify their voices and their stories in all sorts of different ways. Can you talk about maybe some of the more the more meaningful or any particular memories you have of uh, times that you spoke out or, or people uh, that you were able to, to connect with to tell your story in any way? I mean, just the one thing, the one highlight, I think, of being part of Outspoken Generation for me was going to uh, Vice President Biden's barbecue where he was actually, we were, um, I mean, here we were, like, getting ready to thank him for all the work that he had you know, dedicated and the support he'd shown to the LGBT community. And then when we got there, he was, you know, he gave this incredible speech thanking, thanking us. And that was um, validating. I think others that were older than myself, um, you know, felt acknowledged as just part of those helping further move, you know, that pendulum along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a really that was in that in particular was a really memorable experience for me. Yeah, that sounds so cool. Uh, you know, this November is National Adoption Awareness Month. From your own experiences, are, are there any things you would like prospective parents, current parents, or you know, even youth who are in adoptive and especially um, transracial adoptive families to to know or learn or even consider? Yeah, um, actually. Yeah. <laughs> This was um, something that I came across during the social media or campaign for National Adoption Month a few years ago um, from Family Equality. It was a, it was LGBT parents, I guess, are four times more likely to be raising adopted children and six times more likely to be raising foster children um, and more likely to adopt, you know, children of color or children um, that are older with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just, you know, underscores for me how detrimental, you know, child welfare agencies that are discriminating against LGBT, you know, potential adopt parents. I think I've, I've always said for me, I'm going to adopt when I adopt a child, um, I want to adopt a child from foster care um, of color just because of the, you know, just poor rate that they enter um, into the into foster care. Yeah, our families are, as you said, like a complete rainbow of identities. Just being around other queer families has so greatly expanded my own understanding of what a family is and what a family can be. You know, when we say like love makes a family, it's really incredible to see like how big and diverse that can be and what that can really mean for our families. Queer families are the best. (laughs) Um, Thank you again so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for joining us today. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook and Instagram at Family Equality and on Twitter at Family underscore Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.